I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark and Mark, Daly and Hamilton here to talk not about the U.S. political situation, which we've been talking about uh, among ourselves quite substantially for the past uh, couple of days and quite rightly so. But uh, amidst all the serious and heavy things that are happening in the world, we're here to talk about uh, Formula One and distract uh, a little bit from all this uh, other, um, uh, well, <laughs> here I am trying to say that we're going to uh, talk about distracting ourselves. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the possibility of the, de- the delay of the start to the Formula One season. So who am I kidding? But uh, anyways, Mark, how are you this week? The first real show of 2021. It's, uh, it's here. It's happening. Yeah, we got we got five, six days into 2021 before uh, it, it would seem the year is already becoming somewhat uh, shattered. And, <laughs> and you know, I, and I think you, wow. you and I, you made a great point there where we could probably talk about what's happened in the U.S. for 15 or 20 minutes. And I don't think by any means we are trying to be disingenuous by no, no. by not digging into this. But I, I think at the end of the day, there's probably subject matter experts out there that can speak to the circumstances and the experiences with uh, what much greater authority than we can. And I think what we can do is we can continue to provide a fun, upbeat escape from some of the realities of the world right now, whether it's the chaos on, at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. or the COVID situation. So I think for us, it's it's a good opportunity. And and you're right, like this year has been has been a struggle so far, and we're five or six days in. But <laughs> that said, if if you only want to open up any one of a, a million F1 blogs, there's so much stuff going on already. And, you know, the last three, four, five, six weeks, we've been very, very excited about the potential or the prospect of a 23-race calendar in Formula One. And I think the sport's obviously very ambitious, and I think they're excited about the prospect that most of these countries can start deploying and rolling out the vaccine at at a fairly rapid race. But I think what we're likely to see already is that the Australian GP, which is typically the bellwether, the event that kicks off the Formula One campaign, is likely to be delayed until much, much, much later in the season. And, you know, when you think about it, right, we're now close to the middle of January. This is a race that happens in the middle of March, like we're really just 50, 60 days away from when that would race would typically happen. And I know you and I talked about this a little bit the last couple of weeks, and we were just purely, purely speculating, but we were really thinking about the logistical challenges that if that race is going to happen, they both need to start selling tickets, which they haven't done. And they start need, need to start building the track because this is a temporary track built in and around city streets in a park in the heart of Melbourne. And none of that's happened. And I think the other concern is that 
even if logistically they could do that, and even if the health authorities in that state in Australia were comfortable selling some tickets, because that's the only way this could be viable, right? Like to to put together a track for a single weekend only works if you're selling tickets because you need the associated revenue. Even if they were comfortable doing that, are they also comfortable flying in seven teams that are based out of the UK, which is being absolutely ravaged by the virus right now? And there has been no official announcement out of the race organizers, but you and I were talking earlier today about the fact that there's a number of blogs reporting that this race is going to be postponed. Um, It will likely be pushed later into the season. And it's also being reported that on a Zoom call, new Formula One boss Stefano Demancali has already shared with teams a prospective new calendar. So it, it's, I think F1 is being very, very, um, I, I want to say not reactive. I think they're trying to be the opposite of reactive. And rather than wait until they're in a position where they have to make a last minute call, they're being very, very, very forward thinking with what might need to happen with this calendar. So the good news is that they may be able to save the Australian race at this point. And again, this is this is purely reporting through a number of different F1 sources, but it's likely that Australia could get pushed off till the end of November, sandwiched between the Brazilian Grand Prix and the new Saudi Arabian GP. But the good news is, and we already knew that there was an open race slot because when Vietnam backed out, they never backfilled it. And you'd made a really great observation last week or the week before about the fact that that could be a great slot for Portugal because it would precede Spain. And geographically, logistically, it would work. So again, none of this has been confirmed by F1, but the rumors at this point are that the season will start in Bahrain, that preseason testing will be moved from Spain to Bahrain because logistically there's some significant savings there. And then that race will be followed by Imola and then Portugal. So already the schedule is in a state of flux and it's very, very fluid, but we could potentially see some tracks that we really enjoyed seeing last year. So that might be the positive outcome of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm not choking up here. It's uh, I'm not getting emotional <laughs> about, about the, the the potential of a, a disruption to the start of the season. But, you know, I, I think it totally makes sense that uh, regardless if this gets uh, confirmed one way or another, that it's going to surface at some point uh, during the year. And, and Jean Tote, uh, president of the FIA, said as much uh, earlier this week. And I think we just have to face that fact that uh, regardless, that uh, just a a week ago, we had all this uh, optimism going into a new year. <clears throat> that uh, that that things were going to change, which obviously is a, a, a little bit uh, overly optimistic. But I think in, until the virus gets uh, brought under control, until more people are getting vaccinated, until the numbers start going down rather than up, that it really is going to be a holdover from 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 last season. And I think we just have to be prepared for that. But it it does make a lot of sense um, to to push that later into the year. Of course, you know, going into um, the, the what we call the winter months in the northern hemisphere is. Obviously, the reverse in the southern hemisphere at that time of the year. It makes sense to sandwich it in between um, uh, Brazil and Saudi Arabia because, well, you're, they're not all that close to uh, to to either of those two countries. But at least you're in the right hemisphere. So, I mean, logistically, it partially makes sense. And then also, uh, you, you don't lose it uh, completely. So that would be a, a great thing. And then also moving for the, the the testing from Spain to uh, Bahrain. 
Again, that makes it, uh, you know, like like you say, I mean, logistically, it makes sense. It also makes sense uh, for the F1 bubble because they can come in, they can stay at the track, they can do what they need to do to stay, uh, stay separated. And then, of course, once they're in there and then hopefully, you know, everybody's staying healthy, nobody's testing positive for COVID, they can just go from one thing into another and then, you know, move the, you know, the F1 circus back to Europe, go to Emila, then maybe uh, Portimao and then go from there. And, uh, well, I mean, uh, like you say, I mean, it is going to be in a state of flux and i i think we just yeah. need to be uh you know sit back and just to kind of roll with the punches because uh, i very much as you said i don't think this is a you know a, a bad thing i think it's better for them to be out front and, and ahead of it and being reactive or sorry proactive rather than reactive and kind of scrambling to 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 make changes um, you know when things are sort of rapidly falling apart around them like uh, it happened last year in melbourne and that now you know they they you know, we, we know that the success of the bubble worked by by and large, with the, the the relatively small number of test positive cases that we saw in 2020, and it's just a matter of going to places I think where they can contain themselves, and also it makes sense, you know, in, in this climate uh, that that we're living in with the, with COVID everywhere. Does it really make sense to to go and start the season off at a place where you know you you have to? build a temporary track. I mean, it makes a lot more sense to try and go somewhere else that's completely ready. I mean, it was just like MLS said, even before they were confirmed for, for last season was, you know, we, we need a couple of weeks max to get this uh, thing set up because basically we don't have to worry about uh, the infrastructure for a hundred thousand people. We don't need to worry about food, catering, toilets, parking, all these things that you need for all these fans. It's just basically get your people in here We'll, we'll sort out the facilities and then the media stuff and and, that, and that's about it. And that's by and large why I think it was so successful, the, the, uh, the, the 2020 season. You completely nailed it. And I think the races that are going to potentially be at risk, and I think the good news is that if you look at the anticipated rollout timelines for the vaccine in most of the countries that F1 is going to visit on the calendar this year, uh, I would suggest and I would believe that most of the population of these countries, if everything goes well, will probably have a vaccine available to them by the time we get to June or July. So you got to think the back half of the schedule is going to be much more secure than the front half. And even in the front half, and you made a terrific point, like the races really that potentially could be at risk would be races like Australia, because it's not a purpose-built track, it's in the center of a metropolitan space, um, and there's huge risk of bringing in thousands of people associated with the F1 race and then potentially exposing the local public, and no local health authority is going to tolerate that. So there's significant risk there. I was... I was talking to someone a couple of days ago because I was also very curious about Canada. And Canada's still obviously three, four, five months out. It's it's on June 13th. But for those of you outside of Canada, uh, Quebec is currently experiencing the strictest lockdown measures of anywhere in Canada. So it's it's a complete lockdown. There's no social mixing whatsoever. Um, all but the most essential retail is closed. And they've actually also instituted now an 8 p.m. curfew with fines between one and $6,000 if you're fined to violate those, those curfew times. So Quebec is in a very, very, very strict lockdown state. And I was talking to somebody not that works directly for the race organizers, 
but is very close to them. And and their point was, look, the races on the calendar, not because the province and the city of Montreal and the health authorities have signed off, but rather because it's contractually on the calendar, that the race organizers have a contract with the city and the province to host that race. But that said, ultimately, whether it happens or not will be up to local health authorities. So again, I think Montreal is a little bit on the bubble and you have to think Monaco as well is in a tough space because again, that's a race that takes place in an incredibly dense city, requires months of prep to build out that track. But I think to your earlier point that Imola, I think that is a ready to go race, especially if there aren't fans attending, you can get that ready in two weeks. And, you know, I I was talking to some of the folks that work on the organizing board for the British Grand Prix, and they were talking about the races this year relative to any other race they've done before that ultimately one of the hardest parts of hosting a race weekend is managing the hundreds of thousands of people that come through the gates, the parking, the security, the food, the washrooms, all of that is incredibly complex. But if you back that out and you're talking about a purpose-built track that is miles or hundreds of miles away from any urban center, that's really doable. And if they could do it last year, uh, I'm very confident they can do it this year. I just think some of those tracks that are kind of temporary in city centers, they're probably the ones that are going to be at risk. But I think the back half of the schedule will probably be a little bit more secure, but I think the front half will be a little bit more fluid. But Formula One also built some safety mechanisms in right they they left that vietnam slot empty Mm -hmm. um and there's some space and then the only other thing and then again this is being reported but i I haven't been able to find anything to substantiate the explanation is that china itself is probably at risk the chinese grand prix and the principal concern there is and you made a great point that china is doing a fantastic job of managing the virus situation and it's also a little bit different and a little bit easier for an authoritarian state that doesn't necessarily get pushed back from the media and its population. But ultimately, they're doing a terrific job. But ultimately, they're not in a position where they want to risk, again, bringing in thousands of Formula One staffers, most of whom are based in the UK. So yeah. So it'll be interesting. I think it'll give us a lot to talk about over the coming weeks and months. Well, certainly. I mean, if you look at uh, like some of the races that are on the calendar for this year, I mean, uh, Monaco, Azerbaijan, Canada, yep. um, Singapore, and even Mexico City. I mean, Mexico City might be a purpose-built uh, track, but I mean, Mexico City is a very densely populated... Uh, I mean, it's it's not like Spielberg at the Red Bull Ring, right? I mean, it's exactly. it's, basically, it's not like you can exactly. fly into... Because isn't there like a military airfield close by that they could fly into or something? And then basically, I mean, that's uh, almost ideal for this situation then they almost sequestered themselves at uh, Spielberg totally. for two weeks unless you're Valtteri Bottas and Charles Leclerc and you fly home to Monaco <laughs> in between but yeah exactly right and then uh, come back uh, you know 10 days or uh, whatever it is uh, later but yeah certainly it's going to be in a state of uh, flux uh, for sure but um I, you know, it it is just uh, the the sign of the times that uh, we're we're living in, and I thought you made a, a really good point uh, when we were talking over the um, o- over the holiday, and uh, d- just over the, the the coming weeks and months is still probably going to be you know more of the same, and you know slowly but surely, hopefully, of course, you know, crossing fingers here that uh, that the the tide will slowly turn, and the and that the, the constant barrage of bad news will slowly become good news as we can hopefully finally get uh, get a handle on this thing and uh, you know people get vaccinated and hopefully these numbers start coming down sooner rather than later but i mean certainly in the northern hemisphere the 
this is, uh, you know, the, typically when we see you know, the time of year where we see a lot of respiratory illness anyways, we have been colder Absolutely. flu anyways, because the weather's crap and we're all indoors and, uh, you know, we're, we're spending lots of time either at the office or at home and, you know, kids are getting, uh, you know, cold and flu at school and then, you know, it just, it just goes around. So something, uh, you know, quite nasty like COVID, it just uh, thrives in a situation like that. But anyway, so let's take a, a quick break here. And on the other side, uh, we'll come back. We've got lots of things to talk about uh, this week. And uh, we're, we're going to uh, go back and uh, revisit something we've been talking about. And that's the, uh, the the youth revolution in Formula One. And we'll do so in just a moment here after we take a break here on the Overtime Media Network. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. All right. Well, welcome back to the show and welcome to all of you listening into the podcast on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts. And those of you watching the video on YouTube, uh, welcome to uh, one and all. Uh, Mark and Mark here talking about, uh, well, what we do every week, and that's Formula One, pleasant distraction from all the, the, the heavy stuff that's going on out there. And again, this is a bit of a weird one. I wanted to talk about uh, Lando Norris. I mean, there's a couple of things uh, going around, but the the first thing I didn't expect to see earlier this week is when I, you know, I got up in the morning, start to doom scrolling, uh, you know, through my my Twitter feed and then, you know, the one of the first things that pops up, I, I mean, this is before the the whole situation in in DC unfolded, uh, you know, uh, there, there was the first thing that kind of shocked me and then was soon forgotten obviously. was the the news that poor old Lando Norris is the latest uh, Formula 1 drive to uh, test uh, positive uh, for for COVID. Uh, fortunately, he's uh, feeling well, but he was actually in uh, Abu Dhabi. He was uh, there on a, a holiday just uh, before a, a training camp and uh, you know before the start of the season. He uh, reported a loss of smell and taste, which is uh, one of the ways that uh, that a COVID uh, you know manifests itself. Uh, he uh, took a test. He tested uh, positive, and uh, he's uh, now self isolating, sheltering in place, whatever you want to call it, at his uh, at his hotel in Abu. Dhabi. And, you know, fortunately, other, you know, apart from the, the loss of smell and taste, he's, uh, you know, he's feeling well, he's not reporting any other uh, symptoms. And 
He's just the uh, the, the latest uh, in, uh, well, the fourth uh, driver after uh, uh, Lance, uh, I was going to say Lance Norris. I'm getting my uh, my, my L name drivers mixed up. <laughs> Lance Stroll, uh, 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 Checo uh, Perez, and uh, you know, most notably uh, seven-time world champion uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton. So that was that was a real, real surprise. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, he's uh, you know, back in shape, uh, you know, uh, pretty quick here. Yeah, I, I'm very, very excited to see this this kid once again this year. I think he's obviously had a, a really great start to his Formula One career. This is a kid who won the Formula Three championship in 17, finished runner up to George Russell in the F2 championship in 2018. So he he clearly even before he arrived in the championship into Formula One has demonstrated that he can win at the highest levels. I, I think what I like about him is one besides the fact that he's very personable, he's very charismatic, he's great on social media. Um, I, I absolutely adored watching the relationship between he and Carlos Sainz the last mm-hmm. couple of years. I think sometimes there's friction or animosity between two drivers. I, I, I love to see them joke in the paddock. They they played with each other. They joked. There was practical. There was practical practical hijinks. It was it was great to see. And it was also great to see Lando develop as a driver between 2018 and 2019. You know, he he finished 11th in the world championship in 2019. He improved to ninth this year, but it was more his consistency, right? Like he had the one podium um, in Austria this year to begin the season, but he was close on four or five other occasions. And I, I just think that as he continues to improve and he continues to refine his racecraft, and now the fact that his car is going to be paired with a Mercedes power unit, I think the sky potentially is the limit for him. And, and you know, I, I think it's it's disappointing that obviously he's not going to be paired with Carlos Sainz and that dynamic, that relationship is going to end. But you're now bringing in Daniel Ricciardo, who himself is um, an absolutely phenomenal personality and kind of a marketing sensation. So I'm equally as excited to see what those two are like together, both on and off the track. But yeah, I, I, was, I was disappointed to hear he'd kind of contracted COVID. And I guess that would that be the fourth driver now? Yeah. We're talking Sergio, Lance, Lewis, and... And now, and, and now Lando, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, so you're 20% yeah. of the grid has now been uh, exposed to the virus or at least has had the virus contracted. But I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him this year. And again, he's part of that that youth wave that we talk so much about, the George Russells and the Lance Strolls and the Nicholas Latifis. But again, this young Brit is a, is a rock star. And I think yeah. he has a very bright future in front of him. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, he, he's an interesting uh, case because, uh, I mean, obviously they knew what the, they had in Lando Norris because a couple of years ago before he was actually confirmed as a McLaren driver, uh, I don't know if you remember this uh, at the time, but uh, France tossed the team principal at Toro yeah. Rosso. Actually, he, he'd come out and said that uh, he wanted to see if they could broker some sort of deal and replace Brendan Hartley for the, I guess, the remainder of 2018 and then all of 2019 on some sort of a uh, loan deal. And uh, Zach Brown at uh, CEO of McLaren flat out said, uh, no, we want to get this uh, kid into our car ASAP. And then it wasn't uh, you know too much longer before he was confirmed for the 2019 season. And it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, th- that there was something to him. But I mean, for me, the, 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 the one race, the one moment that really kind of confirmed that he's a legit driver in, in his rookie season was in France when he had that, uh, what was it, a hydraulic problem or something, uh, hydraulics, electrics, whatever it was late in the race. And uh, somehow he still managed to, 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 you know, 
you know, manhandle the car around. Finished the in the points. Finished in the points when it looked like he might just drop out after having a, a very strong uh, race. And I thought, well, you know, th- there's something to this guy. I mean, uh, I-, I can see now why they were, you know, very reticent to, to, to let him go even on a temporary basis to, to, to Toro Rosso. And I mean, he's just gone from strength to, to strength. I mean, obviously the car has been slowly improving. And like you say, the, 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 the prospect now or the opportunity that we're going to see him paired with the McLaren and uh, Mercedes power and then having uh you know the a teammates of the ilk of uh danny ricardo i think is it, it's going to be a very exciting season to watch i mean a couple of years ago to think that this might be a team that uh i, I mean forget top five in the constructors i mean that didn't even seem like a you know a, a possibility even as uh, recently as maybe two well three years ago definitely but i mean they've really bounced back rather impressively after being uh well i mean the doldrums is <laughs> i think a, a really a kind way of putting it so you know like like you say i mean it's it's going to be really exciting to watch him paired with danny ricardo which i see a lot of synergy both you know as teammates uh, you know in and out of the car i think that uh, i think they've got a good thing going i think that regardless where you are in the McLaren organization, regardless if you're somebody that's uh, part of the racing operations or you're in the, the the office doing the social media, doing the marketing or whatever, I, I think that uh, regardless what your job is within that team right now, I think you're you're excited looking ahead to this year. You know, I, I've heard this from so many drivers in the past when when they're asked about entering the sport, and uh, as far as the drivers are concerned, it's just. It's critical that you accept whatever seat comes your way. So if it's if it's a Williams or if it's a Sauber or a Toro Rosso, you know what? Beggars can't be choosers. And if you don't take that opportunity, there just may never be an opportunity. And I think that's sometimes why some of these very talented young drivers jump at these these lower ranked teams. But I, I, I still recall very much in the middle of 2018 when there was all the speculation about what could potentially happen and could he be joining an F1 team that year. And I, I just remember thinking like that could ultimately be incredibly damaging to his career that this is a kid that's clearly very capable and and I didn't have trust that that team that you mentioned would necessarily be able to nurture him mm-hmm. or that they were going to provide him with a car that would be capable of demonstrating what his true talents are. And and I was very, very relieved as that season went on that he assumed the test driver role with McLaren, got some exposure to that team, spent some time around the paddock, and that ultimately he was promoted to that team in 2019. I think that's the best thing that could have happened. And I think what we're seeing is that McLaren, free of the distraction of Alonso, is really, really great at building mm-hmm. team chemistry and nurturing their young drivers. And it's just, it's remarkable where this team has come from. And and maybe it speaks to just how destructive an influence and really angry Alonzo can be with an <laughs> underperforming power unit. Yeah. But this team, both from a performance perspective and from a culture and chemistry perspective, just seems to be in, in a completely different stratosphere. And to your point, like I wasn't expecting a top five finish this year, let alone, and again, there were some mitigating circumstances that Certainly, helped promote yeah. them to third in the championship, yep. but ultimately they finished third in the championship and there's really no reason to think that could it happen again in 2021, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's funny when you were just talking about him, uh, Lando, and that, uh, that, that last uh, series of thoughts there, that, uh, you know, I think what's really remarkable is the fact is that they have, you know, improved so drastically over the past uh, couple of years, because, you know, as you as you were talking about that, I was uh, starting to think, well, if they had not improved, would he be another kind of a George Russell-esque kind of driver thinking, well, you know, this guy had so much promise before he got into Formula One, and would we be talking about him, you know, sort of in a similar breath as uh, George Russell? 
Russell. I mean, the the conversation on George has been completely reset after you know filling in at uh, at Mercedes for Lewis at uh, Bahrain too. There at uh, at the end of the season. I mean, I think he's obviously uh, proven uh, what what a legit uh, driver he is, and uh, that uh, you know that he's also a driver to look uh, look at uh, for for the future. And um, you know, it it really is um, it it is fascinating when you look now at the number of young drivers that we see on the grid, but not only just uh, young drivers, but uh, drivers that are with uh, good teams. I mean, you look at Lando, obviously you look at Max, you look at Charles Leclerc. I mean, the list keeps going on and on and on. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, it's unfortunate uh, that it was that Lewis had to miss a race because of COVID. And fortunately, he never really got, um, you know, very sick at all. That uh, it it did, I mean, there there was a silver lining to that cloud and that was uh, George Russell because we were like, well, let's see how it turns out in practice. I mean, he goes into FP1 and almost right from the the very first moment he goes in starts you know, you know <laughs> blowing people's minds and really says surprising it was it was really quite shocking like how good he was in each and every session that he was in that car and it it would have been an absolute tragedy if um, you know with, with all the mis, uh, misfortune suffered during the race that uh, after the wind started to slip away, that then then the podium started to slip away. If he had not at least finished in the points, I think we would have all just collectively, as fans of Formula One, would have just felt so ultimately cheated that this guy that uh, you know didn't get a point. Obviously, he didn't score that many, but it was uh, it, it it was something. Yeah, it it really shows how. And I think we've been able to speculate about this the past couple of years, but it really shows how handicapped or handcuffed those drivers are on that Williams team. And, yeah. you know, if I'm George Russell, imagine, imagine if, I, and again, I don't want to take anything away from Lando because I think he's done a great job with that, with that package and that car. But I just think if, if I'm George Russell, like I've got to be looking at envy with drivers like Lando Norris that are blessed to be a part of teams. And again, there's circumstances, you know, um, Lando was obviously a McLaren driver. He had a great relationship with Zach Brown and George Russell is a Mercedes driver, and circumstance led him to the, the Williams team. But man, I, if I was if I was George Russell, I would be looking with such envy at uh, that that McLaren team, particularly since they themselves are going to be a Mercedes powered team next year. But you're right; I just I can't get over the good fortune that we have as fans uh, of this sport with this younger crop of drivers. The one thing, and I'm calling it now, is I think by mid season. The rumor mill surrounding where George Russell will be in 2022 will be at a fever pitch. I yeah. I don't think there is any circumstance under which he can be back at Williams for a fourth season. I don't think that's a possibility. I think he's either, again, this is purely speculation at this point, but I think the fever pitch will be that he's either going to find his way into Mercedes or Mercedes is going to cut him loose and let him explore op- other opportunities. But mark my words, by mid-season, there will be, it'll be a fever pitch in terms of rumor mill surrounding the future of George Russell, if it hasn't been formally announced by that point. Yeah, you know, it'll be really interesting. I think one of the the, the first indications of where he might land will be, uh, you know, what is the status between Mercedes and Mr. One-Year Contract, Valtteri Bottas, right? I mean, you know, no criticism against him. I mean, he's done everything that they wanted him to do since he landed there in 2017. But if it sort of comes out that, uh, you know, there's no planned uh, contract uh, discussions uh, between uh, Valtteri and Mercedes, then, you know, I mean, it's a bit obviously speculative, but uh, you have to think at some point, well, you know, if these two aren't getting together to talk about another contract, then perhaps maybe that uh, might be an indication that they're looking to, to make 
maybe bring George in because I mean, if you're George and you're coming into Mercedes, and uh, you know, even if you get a couple of like a season or two with Lewis, I mean, obviously that uh, that that still needs to be confirmed and that needs to get uh, sorted out, which with it probably will, uh, you know, in the in the coming weeks or uh, the, before that deal's done. That uh, you know, that that would be the best uh, situation if you're a guy like George Russell, you know, be the heir apparent uh, to 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 Lewis Hamilton and 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 Mercedes. But uh, yeah, I was just sort of thinking too that if you're either uh, George Russell or Nick Latifi, you must be really, you know, really kind of concerned and frustrated because you know you've got the best engine in Formula One behind you, but what's underneath you leaves a lot to be desired, uh, d- d- you know, desired. But when you look at um, McLaren, and of course we're going to be looking very, very close at them, how they're going to do next season with or this season with uh, with Mercedes power. But look what what uh, what Aston Martin uh, has done and uh, as racing point, especially last season with the pink Mercedes. I mean, that was a huge quantum leap forward. And you know, you got to be thinking, you know, like if you're George Russell or Nick, you got to be thinking, well, you know, this is a team sort of similar size well actually probably smaller in terms of uh you know uh, you know uh resources and well formerly of course and also uh, personnel in the factory and uh, and the team itself that uh, you know with everything that Williams has behind it how come we we can't be playing on the same level as uh, as racing points uh, you know, so anyway so th- there's certainly so many things to look at uh, you know for for next or th- I keep saying next season next season is actually this season now right two months two months two months yeah i know certainly anyway so let's take another break here quickly mark and uh, we'll come back and uh, still plenty of things uh, to talk about and we will do so just here on the other side of the break so don't go away we'll be back in just a moment i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, we've been talking about uh, the youth revolution. We've been talking about, well, Talking about pretty much everything. Uh, we've also been talking about uh, you know the potential for a delay to the start to, to the season. But there was another interesting uh, story that uh, came out. Was uh, Danny Ricardo was uh, talking in the media this week uh, just uh, about the uh, the experience that he had with an inconclusive COVID test uh, before the, the the Russian Grand Prix, and he actually the word that he used what was panic uh, before he was actually cleared and the results uh, came back uh, negative. Uh, I mean, gosh, you know, like. Um, it, it must be something. I mean, most people obviously do not go, need to go and get a COVID test unless they actually feel, uh, you know, sick and, you know, they're experiencing some uh, symptoms. I mean, obviously, some people need to get them uh, more often. And, you know, people obviously working in Formula One need to provide a, uh, a negative test. But uh, he uh, he did have the, the following to say, and it was a quote, I actually did wake up one morning with an inconclusive result. I had a scare at like 6 a.m. one morning. I was trying to figure it out and I had to get tested again. There was a bit of a t- panic, and that wasn't fun. End quote. And yeah, you know, unfortunately, I think a, a lot of us have had to deal with that. I mean, uh, you know, some you know family members and you know some of my neighbors and what they've had to go and get them. Fortunately, they all, all came back uh, clear. But it's it's tense moments, you know. It uh, it's not a fun thing to to experience. Yeah, and I I got to think though that 
for a Formula One driver, again, it's it's probably terrifying for anyone to go through that process. And I think at this point, most of us have had a COVID-19 test. Actually, fortunately, I haven't been in a situation where I've needed to, but my coworkers have, my boss has, my wife has. It's it's not pleasant. And then once the COVID test is done, the, the, the hard part is waiting, waiting for the yeah. results, ultimately. And I think what, what makes it even tougher for the Formula One driver, though, is their entire... And obviously family is important, but the 20 races or the 22 races or last season, the 17 races on the calendar mean everything to him. And I think for him, it's, it's partly, Hey, am I sick? Did I expose other people? Did I expose my family? Am I going to sick, be sick? How is this going to turn out? But I think it's also that sheer panic of knowing that I could potentially miss a Grand Prix. And again, these guys are built and hardwired and, and kind of manufactured from the ground up to be professional racing drivers. And I think in his case, and he never said this, so I'm kind of putting words in his mouth, but I got to think part of that panic and that fear is the anxiety associated with missing a Grand Prix and no racer wants to miss a a race, especially when, you know, I've tested positive. Maybe I feel some symptoms. Maybe I don't. I think it's just very hard for them to sit and watch somebody else get fitted for their race car. Like I, I, I think that's incredibly difficult. And again, I putting words in his mouth, but I'm just, I'm trying to put myself into the mindset of a Formula One driver days before a Grand Prix in in Russia. So I think obviously there's all the fear in the world about the health aspects and who else did I potentially expose to this and and all those kind of pieces. But I think it's also that anxiety about not being in my car on the race day itself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you you should say that. And I mean, I'm not uh, familiar with uh, dealing with the uh, with Formula One drivers on a regular basis, but professional soccer players, uh, you know, I've I've dealt with uh, constantly for a number of years, and um, there there is a real palpable sense of that if if I miss this one game be, or Absolutely. miss five games or whatever it is because I hurt myself, that you know there there is a, like a legitimate fear that that these uh, you know people have, regardless men or women at at, at any, any level, you know, especially the higher elite levels. That if you miss a game or two or three or whatever it is, you know, there's a real fear, you know, unspoken or not, that they, you know, they'll lose their spot in the team. You know, I mean, Formula One's a little bit uh, different, but still, you know, you, 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 there's that fear that somebody else is going to come in and and take your spot and do your job and do it better, and that uh, you know that uh, that you know you'll quickly become you know <laughs> an afterthought. Your absence is somebody else's audition. Yes, and and, yeah. and I think I think you're right. Whether whether we like it or not, professional sports it's it's a pretty cutthroat industry, and no, yeah. and teams yeah. obviously the best interest of the team is to put a winning product on the field, and and Formula One is no different. And I think this is obviously the case here, where you, you never want to lose your seat and see. And again, these guys aren't cheering against somebody else, but obviously they want to be the one in that seat. And yeah. and I think it was probably, and we talked a lot about this a couple of weeks ago, it was as much as Lewis is a phenomenal personality, I don't think it was necessarily in his interest to watch Russell sit in his car and potentially win that race because that opens up all kinds of dialogues about how good is he versus how great is this car. <laughs> and fortunately, it, 
the the narrative played out a little bit differently. But again, it's that it's that same situation. But I think you're absolutely right, and that soccer analogy is brilliant to to miss three or four or five games and 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 give somebody else the opportunity to audition in your place is is incredibly challenging for those folks, and it makes rehab that much more difficult. And and it's a little bit different in North America when we talk about the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball, where you have guaranteed contracts. But yes. in soccer and those sports where they have shorter contracts, they're not necessarily guaranteed. Um, it's extremely cutthroat. Yeah, and it, it is interesting too. Also, just going back to the mentality, uh, so the, the 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 mental part of it too. Like when these uh, athletes deal with the uh, with injury setbacks, uh, whatever it is, and it's so funny. It's just the way, like you said, like these um, you know elite athletes are wired. You know, from basically from from the ground up, is that when they get hurt, it's just like, oh, I'll train harder, or I'll rehab harder, I'll do more physio or something. Yeah. But then absolutely. when it comes to something like COVID, when you have to sit there for for ten or fourteen days and self isolate, and you you do, there's nothing you can do, right? It's just like you have to sit there and and basically fret and and worry about are more symptoms going to manifest? Is oh no, like my throat's getting a little itchy, I'm sneezing, oh I feel a little bit, you know, you get all these, yeah. you know, also becomes psychosomatic, and it's, it's like you know you you can't go out, you can't go for another extra hour on the bike you can't go for an extra hard session in the gym you have to sit there until you either become sick and you need to get treatment for it or you just have to ride it out or you know you sit there for the you know the minimum amount of time and go and get retested and either you know depending on the result of that you're either cleared or you kind of go back into that holding pattern again i love your i love your soccer analogy because one of the things that we always look for when when a, a soccer player or football player comes back from an injury we always look to see how long it takes them to get their fitness back and we're yeah. not like their knee their elbow that that's healed but how long does it take to them to get back into the, the same level of cardiovascular health that they were in before. And I think one of the things that we don't want to discount with an F1 driver, and I think a lot of people do, is these are supremely fit athletes. Yeah. And the amount of time that they spend on the treadmill, on the bike, in the gym, running, doing stairs is is absurd. They are supremely fit athletes. And in this case, if I have if I have an infection, to be sitting in a room, to your point, for seven or ten or fourteen days, I'm not only away from my team and I'm not only not socializing, but my fitness is eroding around me. And mm-hmm. then when I do finally test negative, I need to work that much harder to get back to where I was two weeks ago, right? Yeah, and I, I think it's a, more to that point too. Is I, I think we did see that manifested to a, a certain degree at Abu Dhabi when Lewis came back for that last race of the year. Of course, there were some issues that uh, Mercedes were dealing with mechanically with the cars that they weren't able to push them as hard as possible. But Lewis, I don't want to say he was a non-factor because that's you know I think a little bit uh, a little bit cruel. But he wasn't as sharp and as on point as we expect to see Lewis you know, each and every race, right? I mean, he he did as much say that, you know, he was feeling the after effects. I mean, he was a little bit ill. It wasn't super nasty, of course. But, you know, the, the fact was he had to isolate for, you know, 10 days or 14 days or whatever it was. And he was uh, ill to a certain degree. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, if you're you're not training at that uh, that peak level, and of course, over the off season, they, they take their time off and they, they, they relax. And but, you know, that is very short. I I mean, the guarantee that these guys are out there right now just killing it each and every day and working up so that when we get to, well, possibly Australia in about, uh, you know, just uh, about eight weeks from now that they are at that 
that peak at that it's going to build up in a crescendo and you know one day two days i mean if if you or i miss a day or two i mean away from our regular workouts or go go get on the bike or go for a run we'll get a little bit cranky right but i mean we're not going to notice a huge difference in terms of performance the next time we go out but these guys that are that are training as much as they're in the simulator and doing all these other things that that's a big deal to miss a couple of days and then i was sick on top of it I was going to reference as well, uh, and this is probably a little bit disingenuous because he he retired in the two races prior to his COVID uh, his COVID test. But Lance Stroll coming back from his COVID infection, retirement in Portugal, uh, a thirteenth place, a ninth place, another retirement before bouncing back with that podium in Sakhir. And again, he he could have just been in a slump period, but yeah. I think what we see there is obviously he struggled post infection. Yeah. Um, now Sergio, on the other hand. A fifth place, a tenth, and a tenth. So I, I don't know what you can necessarily take from this, but I, I think you're right that it's there's both a fitness element to this, but probably also very much a mental element as well. And the anxiety that builds up of being isolated and understanding how much work you need to do to get back to get your fitness back and to get your seat. And then also the concern about the fact that somebody else is auditioning in your car. And then in some of these drivers case, and Daniel was good because he already had a contract stood up from McLaren for the subsequent season. Mm -hmm. But if you're one of these drivers that doesn't necessarily have a contract the next year, you know what? the anxiety is amplified that much more. Yeah. When you're on the bubble like that and you're basically out there each and every lap, excuse me, each and every lap is an audition for, for, for potentially a new contract for the next season. I mean, the stress is real. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, you're going to be feeling it each and every time. But I mean, I, I think for Lance, a lot of it was just, uh, he seemed like he was snake bitten last year. It, it seemed that it was just not going right for him. I think it was perfectly summed up. I mean, uh, as good as he looked in Turkey, and by go- my, my gosh, he should have done obviously a lot better in that race uh, compared to where he finished up. But I thought that, um, you know, especially Especially the second half of his season was was summed up perfectly at the first Gra- uh, Bahrain Grand Prix was after all that drama that went on you know Kvyat who's obviously in a bit of a different headspace after being you know inadvertently and unintentionally involved in the whole Grosjean incident uh, you know e- even though at that point they knew that, uh, that that he was okay after that that horrible accident I mean somewhere in the back of your mind you know that uh, you're not 100% on your game and you, you could just kind of uh, tell the way that uh, that coming together that he had with Lance, that 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 low speed accident that was just enough to, to flip Lance upside down and land on his roll bar kind of kind of for me kind of summed it up in a nutshell. I thought at this point, uh, I, I was thinking if I'm Lance Stroll, I, said, I just want to get to Abu Dhabi. I want to go home. <laughs> I want to forget about this, uh, the, 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 this season and just uh, get away for a couple of weeks and then come back and then just go at it hard for for 2021. I don't know if you saw, but Andrew Benson uh, for the BBC has mm-hmm. done a, a really great intro or intro interview with uh, Lawrence Stroll. Um, there's some really, really, really good stuff in there, and he goes into tremendous detail about Vettel and. I don't want to suggest he's making excuses for Vettel, but he does a lot to rationalize Vettel's experiences and performances this year. Um, and also talks about the fact that, look, you know what? Vettel really struggled in 2014 before he migrated to Ferrari with a car that wasn't necessarily built for him. But he spoke pretty glowingly about Lance. Um, he, he spoke to the fact that, you know, as a 21-year-old driver, his his performance last year, despite all the misfortune, was extremely impressive. Um, he does acknowledge, to your points as well, that Lance had a, a real string of bad luck last year. Uh, but his sense and his belief is that pairing 
pairing him with Vettel, giving him the exposure to Vettel, uh, the continued development of the team, the fact that they're going to be opening their new factory shortly, um, the injection of additional capital that's going to come with their, and I don't know if we're going to talk about it today, but obviously the injection of additional capital that's going to come with their no pr- new principal sponsor is going to put them into a really, really good position for 2021. But I also think that, you know what, Lance has had a bit of a free ride the last couple of years. Obviously, mm. last year it was his first year in this car, and it was a bit of a hybrid between a 2018 and a 2019 car. And they had a series of different kind of catch-up revisions throughout the year. This year, you know, he looked good in the first half of the season, and he had a couple of flashes in the back half. But I think the pressure will be on him pretty significantly next yeah. year um, if these misfortunes continue to happen, if you know what I mean. Like, he can't have four or five retirements this coming season um, without an additional level of scrutiny upon him. And, you know, he he's done such a great job of these flashes, whether it's Italy um, in 2017 or whether it's qualifying in Turkey and then the misfortune of having the wing damage or whether it's a couple of podiums this year, like there's these flashes, but he needs to find a way to string this together throughout the course of an entire calendar. And I think when we talk about our preview for 2021, I think one of the things that I'm going to be looking at most closely is can Lance string together a really strong calendar? Because we've seen it in chunks. We've seen these yeah. one-offs. So it'll be very, very, very interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see as well whether he can learn or pick up any of the behaviors that Sebastian Vettel has. And and I still strongly believe that Lawrence Stroll brought in Vettel because one, it's, it's a marketing play, right? Like if you're going to invest this amount of money in this team and you're going to take on a significant ownership in Aston Martin so you can borrow the branding and you can stand up this works team, obviously you want to be able to have a world champion there. But I think Lawrence's long-term vision, short-term vision, medium-term vision isn't necessarily to make Vettel a world champion, but it's to make Lance, a world champion. And I think he wants to expose Lance to somebody that's been there, has been to the top of the mountain, has faced all of those challenges. Um, and, and I think that's what he wants. And, and I'll be very curious to see what Lance learns from Vettel, but I want to see what their relationship is like. Like, I don't, I think we all know that the relationship between Lance and Felipe Massa was non-existent. And I think Lance was very open about that because I think a lot of people thought that, you know what, Felipe, you know, his last season, is he going to bring Lance under his his wing and teach him? And I think ultimately it was the exact opposite. And, and mm-hmm. Lance was not cold towards Felipe and Felipe wasn't necessarily cold towards Lance, but there wasn't um, symmetry. There wasn't chemistry between the two of them. And they were basically doing their own thing. And, and I think even with Sergio Perez, Sergio Perez is a terrific driver and he's won himself a seat with Red Bull next season. But I also don't think he was in a position to mentor and tutor Lance because he was too busy trying to retain his own seat and be a competitive driver. But I think the expectations to Vettel were very clear that, hey, we want you to come in, we want you to compete, but we also want you to help develop and nurture Lance. And I just think that's part of the deal and part of the expectation. So what I'm curious to see is how did the two of them interact off off the track? Because We've never really seen that with Sergio and Lance. We we certainly never saw that with Felipe and Lance. I'll be very curious to see how the two of them interact. Because the other thing I get from Lance as well, and, and I was listening to this on the BBC Checkered Flag podcast a couple of weeks ago, is they were talking about that Lance... He, it's not that he's not approachable. It's not that he isn't accessible. And it's not that he's not willing to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's just that 
it's hard to get anything out of him in terms of energy and passion. And, and I've listened to some Lance interviews in the past and there, they can be a really difficult listen. And he's not trying to be disingenuous or disrespectful to the person interviewing him. It's just his personality. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see whether there's chemistry with him and Vettel from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, also uh, to you know, more to the, your point about all the investment and everything that uh, Lawrence Stroll has put into the team. As, I mean, he's put everything around Lance now to help make him successful but I think ultimately if push comes to shove and he feels that uh, you know the the decision comes that uh, that you know for for the betterment of the team that he has to sever ties with Lance I don't think he would ultimately I I think he would make that call if if he needed to I I completely agree the thing is that obviously the 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 relationship that they have as father son is that uh, you know that leash that uh, that 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 sort of grace period is obviously going to be a little bit longer but you know perhaps there's been some quiet father son moments and this is obviously pure speculation on my part perhaps Lawrence has already said that uh, to him you know Lance you know if, if it ever comes to that you know I'll have to cut you loose but don't put me in that position. We, we put all these things around you. But, you know, get, getting Sebastian into the team, I mean, I think it does a lot of things. I mean, it, it helps Lance. It helps the team. It helps the team uh, marketing. Because, I mean, he's bringing all that experience. He's bringing, you know, four world championships with him. And I, I see just uh, like, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago that I just see a lot of positive uh, reasons for bringing Sebastian Vettel into the team in the short term. How it works out over the medium and the long term is completely up to Sebastian Vettel and what he does in uh, the year or two, whatever the, the term of his contract is. You know, the, yeah. the other, and, and I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I think the one other thing of note that I would add from that uh, Andrew Benson interview with, with mm-hmm. Lawrence is he made a couple of really good observations. Um, one of which is something we've talked about before. We talked about with the introduction of the cost cap coming in that some of these bigger teams like Mercedes and Ferrari are going to be forced to reduce their headcounts. And he spoke to the fact that even with the cost cap, Aston Martin's going to be in a position where they can continue to add a little bit more headcount. And and I think that was a really astute observation. Mm -hmm. But he also spoke as well, and I don't want to get too far off track here, but he also spoke to the fact that he's really challenged Andrew Green and, and Otmar with continuing to develop this car implementing their policy of buying the gearbox and some of the other core components. So I, I think they have a pretty good framework that the new factory is open. They're still in a position where they can build their headcount and continue to add people capital to the organization. And who knows, there may be some great people available when Mercedes and Ferrari have to make some really difficult decisions, but I, I'm excited to uh, obviously excited to see this team. But I also agree with you that Lawrence is an incredibly good business person. He's mm-hmm. amassed billions of dollars worth of wealth through his own business acumen. And I don't think he is going to compromise his investment in Aston Martin or this Formula One team if he gets a sense that Lance isn't capable of competing at the highest level. Yeah. And and I think the pressure will start to mount on Lance this coming season if he doesn't string together those consecutive really good performances. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to just uh, I had another thing sort of pop into my head and uh, you know, it's gone in one ear and out to the other. So, why don't we just uh, take one final break away here and and maybe in the meantime this uh, this brilliant thought I had will will reappear or perhaps it's just lost uh, for the ages. <laughs> Anyways, uh, time for one final break here on the the podcast is always up to speed with former one will be back in just a moment. 
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And sadly, that uh, that brilliant thought that I had hasn't reappeared. So let, let's, uh, <laughs> let's let's just move on. But that, that's the problem with and I don't mean to interrupt. That's the problem with both of us, right, is when we have our conversations, it's like you talk for a block of 15 minutes, then I talk for a block of 15 <laughs> minutes. And while you're talking, like I'm frantically writing down notes because like, oh, I need to bring this up. I need to bring this up. I need to bring this up. So I think as, as good as we are chemistry wise, I think that's the challenge is we both like to have these long kind of long-winded blocks of dialogue <laughs> yeah it, it, it is it's one of those things I, I don't keep notes while we're doing the show I, I keep I, I do all my notes beforehand before we start recording but uh, you know unfortunately it just seems to be one of those things that if uh, you know if I don't get it out right away it's uh, it's just going to disappear but uh, anyways one thing that didn't disappear is that you hinted to it uh, just in the previous segment was uh, that uh, Aston Martin has uh, just announced their their new title sponsor for for 2021 and the the, the fact that they're dropping the the, the pink uh, livery that uh, we've seen the past uh, couple of years uh in the uh, as, as racing point and it couldn't be anything other than british racing green for aston martin i mean we, we just have to be it would be like ferrari not being scarlet red it'd be like mercedes not being silver although the black worked very well i must admit but uh, uh the british racing green absolutely the right call can't wait to see what this car looks like at the uh, at the launch in a you know a couple of weeks yeah, so it's February. Uh, I've got the date in my calendar because I'm extremely excited. And, and it's interesting too, because there are a couple of different variations on the British racing green theme. Jaguar has one of their own, which is much, much darker. It's kind of like a fern green, which I really don't like, mm-hmm. but I absolutely adore the variation that Aston Martin uses. It's a, it's a lighter, it's a more, um, I, I don't know how to say it. it's, it's a brighter color, but I cannot wait to see it on the car. And I also can't wait to see it on the, the merchandise and the racing gear. And, and I think <laughs> they're going to do very, very well from, from obviously a marketing perspective. And like you said, you know what, they, they have a new principal sponsor as well. So, uh, the pink is gone. Um, they're stepping into the big leagues. It, it only makes sense that they're going to partner with one of the world's biggest IT solutions providers. And, and it, am I saying it right? Cognizant? It's yes. cognizant, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that will be that'll be worn principally along both sides of the car on the the side pods. Um, it will be strewn across across the chest of the drivers, but it's going to be a really good look. And the other great thing too is that Aston Martin has really been teasing us ever since New Year's Day, right? Like they they updated their social media. We've seen a few kind of snippets. Like we saw a photo of the new signage at the entrance to their factory at Silverstone. We've seen some headshots of Lance and Sebastian wearing the uniform but we can't really see much lower than their neck but we can see the collar and we can see the green so they're teasing us they're teasing us but i i can't wait to see what this is ultimately going to look like i think it's going to be an an absolutely classic take on uh, an incredibly um historic racing team and as a good reference point as well because i had to go and look this up um as much as we associate aston martin with racing cars and hypercars and performance cars and that side of the motorsports industry mm-hmm. um they haven't competed in formula 1 officially since 1960 so this will be <laughs> the 60th anniversary of the last time that they competed as a works team uh so it should be very very exciting and they're doing it again we talked a lot about this last couple of weeks that from a road car perspective there's been a great deal of integration with mercedes because 
developing power units and engines for road cars is equally as resource intensive as developing power units for Formula One cars. So they have some real integration on the road car side, uh, but we're going to continue to see some true integration on the on the Formula One side as well. But both sides are absolutely adamant that this is not a Mercedes B team and it's not intended to be a Mercedes B team. There just happens to be a lot of symmetry and uh, shared componentry between the, the two teams. But I can't wait. And I love the color. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, I have to be uh, completely upfront that as skeptical as, as I was when they announced a couple of years ago that they were going to go to like the, this pink paint scheme with the, with the previous title sponsor, BWT. I thought I don't know if that's going to work on a Formula One car, but I, I got to give I, I got to give them a shout out. I have to say, for me, I thought that the pink and white, I thought it actually worked. It's not nearly as good as the British Racing Green, but in its own way, I thought I thought it was okay. I, I'm I completely compl- agree, yeah. and yeah. and I hope we can see another team potentially with that tie up at some point in the future because I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, much like yourself, uh, you know, I, I've been looking at uh, the, these teasers that they've been throwing out. I mean, their social media has been on points. It's you know, been like, great. You know, to, to use a point, you know, sort of a, a pun tying into the racing point thing there. But uh, yeah, they, they've been doing a, a really, really exceptional job, really, you know, driving the interest, uh, at, you know, as, as we inch closer towards that uh, that release date and uh, it, it's it's going to look great and and like i was saying uh, just a little while ago that um, it, it's good to see the british racing green on a team just like it's good to see the silver on the mercedes the scarlet red on the ferrari but also the papaya on the uh, the, the mclarens i mean mclaren i i mean i'm too well i'm not young but i i'm i'm not old enough to remember like the the, the mclarens from the 70s and whatnot i mean the the first my first recollections of the the mercedes i sorry the mercedes the uh mclarens in in the mid 1980s with Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost when I was a kid was the orange and the white of the Marlboro branding and that's uh, you know from the 80s 90s you know up until maybe about five six years ago definitely since the uh, you know the the whole tobacco thing has gone out I mean those couple of decades paint schemes were largely dependent on you know the the title sponsor right I mean I mean I'm wearing a, a Williams hat here from uh, you know about uh, 20 years ago when their their title sponsor one of their main sponsors was HP so HP's colors are blue and white. I mean, coincidentally, the same colors as uh, as this hat. But I mean, I kind of like the idea that okay, well, you can work your your sponsors like uh, colors into it as you know the the BWT and the pink and everything uh, worked out really well. But I like the historical colors and I like them. You know, they're they're just rich. There's a heritage. There's all the history involved with it, and I think that the the, the grid ultimately looks uh, looks better for it. Yeah, I completely agree. All right. Well, let's let's move uh, over from uh, one rebranded team to another, and I'm hoping maybe you can uh, speak a little bit uh, to this. And this is Renault, which is now Alpine F1, and the fact that uh, Suzuki's Moto GP team has defer or confirmed the departure of team boss uh, Davide Brivio. And the big rumor is that he's going to Formula One to become something at Alpine. So. Welcome to MotoGP Corner with Mark Hamilton. For those of you that don't know, and I'm going to set this up, I am a monster MotoGP fan. 
I, I don't do a MotoGP podcast because I don't know that there's anyone in North America that would listen, but <laughs> I, I, I love MotoGP. And I think, and I'm not going to get really into the weeds when it comes to the sport, but there's a lot of parallels between MotoGP and Formula One. Uh, the calendars are very similar. There's a lot of overlap in the circuits. All of the teams have two drivers. Um, there's a team championship. There's a rider championship. There's a lot of symmetry there. So there has been speculation for a few weeks that Alpine, formerly Renault, is looking to completely reboot the leadership structure on the Formula One team. So the CEO of Renault Group is a gentleman named uh, by the name of Luca DeMeo. Or is it DeMeo? DeMeo? DeMeo, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Sometimes like Luca DeMeo. Yeah. So he is, and, and this is, I think, one of the things that's really beneficial to the Formula One project at Renault. This is a guy who has a fairly rich history with motorsport himself. And I think that helped the cause because I think there's been questions within that Nissan Renault alliance over the last couple of years about whether this is a project they want to continue with. Fortunately, mm -hmm. they do. And they're putting some real energy into the rebranded Alpine group. And what they've done is they've gone to the factory Suzuki team in MotoGP and lured away their team manager, David. Brevio. And this is a guy who has been an absolute sensation in MotoGP. So he was a part of, he's been a part of the MotoGP family or the Suzuki MotoGP family since 2011. So historically, Suzuki's always had a presence in MotoGP. They left for a while. They returned officially in 2015. He was there from the inception to help build that team. Again, they were starting from scratch. They had to start completely over. New bike, new engine, um, recruiting drivers, engineers, everything. So he was intimately involved in that process. And the distinction of MotoGP in Formula One is that MotoGP teams are much, much, much smaller. So if you make a bad hire, it has a real impact on your team. So he was able to bring together the squad and they had some initial successes in the first couple of years. But this year they had a shock win their, their principal rider won the championship, the riders championship, and they also won the team championship. So this was a, an absolute sensation in the MotoGP world. Now, if you follow MotoGP, you understand that, hey, Mark Marquez was out and it was, this would be the equivalent of Hamilton getting injured in the second or third of the race of the season and missing the entire campaign. Really, things were wide open, but they absolutely took advantage of that and they won the team championship and the rider championship. Now, his past prior to joining the Suzuki team was back in the first decade of the 2000s. He was a part of the factory Yamaha team. And he was the individual that engineered the move that brought Valentino Rossi from the factory Honda team to the factory Yamaha team, where he subsequently won four titles in the next six or seven years. So he has been a sensation. But while he was at Yamaha, also at Yamaha was Luca DeMio. So the two of them have worked together in the past. Luca knows what his capabilities are. Luca knows that he's great at building chemistry and putting together a really functional organization. But he also knows he's really good at taming and managing high-profile personalities in the cockpit or on the bike. So the thought is that this is going to be somebody that can not only put together the infrastructure of the team and manage the team, but somebody who can manage a high-profile driver. So there's a lot of things here at play, but I think this is a, tr tr a terrific move. And I think 
the only people that are potentially shocked by this are the Suzuki team. Um, they didn't necessarily see this coming by all accounts, but mm-hmm. it had been speculated and rumored for at least the last couple of weeks in the Formula One press. So I think this is sensational. So he'll be joining Alpine as the new CEO of the Formula One operation. So incredibly excited. And if you get the chance, look up some of his interviews on YouTube. He's got a phenomenal personality. He's friendly. He's outgoing. He's got lots of humor. Really, really excited to see this. Yeah, it's it's really kind of interesting because Renault over the past uh, several years, I, I don't want to say that they've been an out and out uh, disappointment, but they certainly have fallen fall short of expectations. When, when I you heard can that, say it, yeah, I mean, when well, yeah, I, I yeah, maybe I'm being you just, too you nice. Kind of just did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, when, when they announced that they, that they were going to be coming in and taking over the Lotus team, they're coming back in. I was really excited because I mean, we all know the success that they've had previously. I mean, Fernando won his two world championships uh, with uh, Renault back in 05 and 05. And I mean, this is a team and a manufacturer that's been in it on both sides as 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 a manufacturer, as a work team in their own right, and as a as a, as an engine supplier. And they've had success in in, in previous incarnations and, and outings in Formula One. And they've just consistently over the past uh, several years after taking over Lotus that, of course, there was going to be that sort of in-between time when they re-stamped that, uh, that Lotus uh, you know, team and made it their own. And uh, I, I expected there would be a little bit of a lag, but they've fallen well short of the mark. And there was obvious that something needed to, uh, to be done. And uh, I was quite worried there, there for a while that uh, perhaps uh, that even before COVID, you know, there was talks that uh, perhaps uh, that they weren't going to stay in Formula One for the long run run. But when uh, they announced that they were committed, that they were going to stay, and this is something that uh, they're actually committed to, my, my my next question was, okay, now what? Okay, so you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're in Formula One, but you can't keep going that the way that you're going. I mean, you're either in, you're going to do it to uh, you know 110%, or you're just going to kind of make up the numbers like you have since 2015 or whatever it is, uh, which uh, you know is, is basically you know middle of the team or middle of the pack kind of team that uh, you know really hasn't shown anything other than maybe a complete fluke of circumstances that uh, you know would be their their only real shot at getting on a podium in a in a, in a race like. Turkey, for example, that we saw this year when everything was flipped on side of the upside uh, upside down because of the rain and the slippery track and all that. So it uh, it definitely is interesting, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what's going on, uh, you know, and, and how this is going to manifest uh, itself. I mean, they got a new uh, team uh, principal, Marcel Budkowski. So uh, very, very interesting uh, times there. And of course, uh, you know, car is going to look uh, completely different uh, for this year. In terms and of, the one thing yeah. I would add, and, and you made such a great point for me, the biggest thing about Renault since they've re-entered the sport as a works team is it just felt like they lacked identity. Yeah. And, and it kind of felt like it's been a churn of drivers, a churn of leaders. It's been despite the fact that they had all that immense success when they were partnered up with Red Bull in 2010, 11, 12, 13, none of that ever seemed to translate. And, and it seemed like every time Renault was in the news, it was because of a dispute with Red Bull. And it was nothing has ever been favorable mm-hmm. for them. And they've really lacked that identity. And I think the rebrand helps because they can kind of wash away all of that. And they're going to rebrand in the French national colors. So white, red, and, and blue. Um, they're bringing in an exceptional CEO who is demonstrated in the past that he can build a winner and he can tame really strong personalities. Uh, I think to your point, having a new team principal is, is good at this point. Like I'm, I'm again, I'm excited to see what's 
capable or what's possible here because I think the last four or five years have been, I don't want to say it's been a waste, but it's it's just lacked identity. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the returns for Renault have been um, by operating that team. So again, very, very interested to see what can happen next year. And I'm not expecting that to come out necessarily next year and win races, but they did crack a couple of podiums this year and I wasn't expecting that. So maybe there's something from a foundational perspective that they're going to be able to build on because the good news is that for Davide and and the new team principal is they're not starting from scratch. There's some foundational work that's been done. Um, Obviously, I think that a lot of the work this year is going to be immersing Alonzo with that team and that car and taming the personality and making sure that he delivers both on the track and off the track. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's very, very interesting to see what that team's going to look like. Well, you know, before we wind up the show here in a minute, Mark, I, I just uh, w- want to say that I- I'm sure you're completely... Uh, you know, off, uh, you know, off in your estimations here, all the money that they must have missed out in terms of, uh, you know, lost, uh, you know, points in the constructors championship over the yeah. past couple of years. You know, they were just raking it in with all that Jolian Palmer merch that they've been <laughs> selling. <you> know? <laughs> so, so you lose that on one side, but you're just raking it in on the other. I've got at least three Jolian shirts. What about you? Uh, at least four. But before oh, I get into my Julian Palmer hat collection, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, with a, with a bizarre and unexpected Julian Palmer reference that uh, wasn't even in the offing three minutes ago, but uh, it's uh, well, the new normal. Anything goes now, <laughs> and it has done for for some time. And on that note, my friend, that's all I got for this week. Yeah, me too. You too. I mean, I and I mean the reality is I think we've done a really good job of putting aside all of the the really horrific things that have been happening in the world in the US capital and and hopefully this has been a really good distraction for our listeners so they could kind of put on their headphones, go for a run, go for a drive and catch up on the things that are going on in the world of Formula 1 and and my sense is there's going to be a ton of additional news next week as well. There's a lot of stuff bubbling between, below the surface and there's four or five stories that we could have touched on today but we'll probably save those and and we'll see how the the Hamilton saga plays out with Mercedes but yeah, we'll be uh, back next week with much much more yeah and if you want a special shout out on the show tweet us your 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 ultimate selfie and your Julian Palmer, Palmer kits <laughs> and let us see it at uh, Scootery F1 Pod and uh, I, I know right now we're, we're not going to see too many uh, selfies with the hashtag Julian Rocks but uh, we, we should stop being mean he, he doesn't deserve it <laughs> but anyways uh, on that note all joking aside and I have nothing against Julian Palmer I'm just being cruel for no, no reason if you want to get in touch with us easy easiest way as i just mentioned on twitter at scuderia f1 pod or email us at scuderia f1 pod at gmail.com and that's it on behalf of myself and my co-host and friend mark hamilton thank you for listening have a great week and we'll talk to you guys again very very soon bye for now